Hello, everyone, and welcome to our football show right here on the Cathedral of Sport podcast. As usual on the show, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Bon Vivant, golden retriever enthusiast and a man of many a curry house. It's the right reverend, Bob we love. Bob, as always, how the devil are you, mate? Uh, um, very well, thank you, Ash. Very enjoyable afternoon, finally getting to see The Empire Strikes Back on the big screen. Uh, so that ticks off a cinematic uh, bucket list part. So I uh, pretty good all in all. How's yourself? I'm I'm good. Um, enjoyed my fishing trip as I mentioned last week on on our last show. I, we caught seven big rainbow trout, which was nice. Brought them all home, and uh, today I did a bit of hiking up Arthur's Seat again, and uh, found a new new route where you actually do some climbing, which is quite exciting for me. So yeah, I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. Um, got over the cold now as well, so I'm back raring to go. Right, Bob. What have we got in store for our listeners today, Bob? We'll be discussing. The recent UEFA Nations League results, we're going to be discussing the Scotland national team. We're going to look ahead to the Premier League restart and a bit of a controversial one tonight, folks. We're going to discuss and debate the gender pay gap in football. Should women footballers be paid the same as men? Bob, going to start with the Nations League and the results of the home nations and the Republic of Ireland. Start with Republic of Ireland. Stephen Kenny. No luck in his first two games in charge. It's, just, it's the uh, first time since Mick McCarthy in 1996 that an Ireland manager has failed to win in his first two games. A 1-1 draw away in Bulgaria and a bit of a shocking loss at home to Finland, 1-0. Um, Wales winning away in Finland, 1-0 in the same group, beating Bulgaria at home, 1-0. Northern Ireland, decent draw away at Romania, 1-1, but then hammered, absolutely blown away by Norway last night. And Erling Haaland's geniusness. Um, not many teams go to Winter Park and get a result. It's a very hard place to go. They've beaten Spain there. They've famously beaten England there when David Healy scored that night. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a an easy place to go and get a win. And Norway have just gone there and scored five. So they're looking really, really sharp and really, really good. Moving on to Scotland. 1-1 draw at home to Israel. Pretty disappointing. And a great of a win away last night in the Czech Republic. Ryan Christie on target there of a penalty. Lyndon Dykes getting his first goal for Scotland. England, 1-0 winners away at Iceland. Just, it, luckily, Bjarnason missed a penalty in the 93rd minute, um, skied it over the bar, and they're currently playing away at Denmark tonight. The last I checked, it was 0-0. Might have changed now. Uh, that was probably about 20-odd minutes in before we had to start recording. Bob, bit oh. of a summary about the Rena- bit of a summary there about the Nations League results. Um, Ireland, struggling, mate? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, can't, I can't say I particularly paid attention to Ireland, but I think obviously the I change the manager of a new ideas, a new philosophy, as we saw with Northern Ireland as well, uh, can possibly cause a slight bit of issue. Um, I don't think it's too much to get worried about at this at this stage. Obviously, they had a they had a very clear plan of Stephen Kenny doing the under twenty ones for a bit and then taking over for for Big Mick McCarthy. So maybe it just needs a little bit of time to bed in. We'll see how that one goes. Yeah. Um... 
be good to see Ireland do well again. Uh, I don't think, look, I'm going to go back to the 90s and 2000s. I just don't think the player pool's there for them anymore. Uh, what there what there was in the past, I, 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 there's not real much quality Irish player-wise at the moment. There's no standouts really, is there, in that team. Wales doing well, top of the group, maximum points so far. Northern Ireland, Bob, look, last night, Norway. I mean, Scotland might have to play them in a final. And I can't see Scotland doing very well against them, mate. Um, possibly not. Uh, but again, w- watching the goals last night and speaking to a couple of friends from over there, they seem to have tried to adopt a new system just to try out for the Nations League. Um, see how far that would get them. And it didn't quite work out to plan. Uh, certainly from viewing the first couple of goals, it looked like they were trying to attack the, the right side of the centre-back, which was Michael Smith. That seemed to work. The, they put a huge big hulking forward that looked to me on top of him and that kind of gave him at least two or three of the first, out of the first three goals. But then again, you've got that boy, Haaland. That first goal he scored was an absolute world day. Second one wasn't too bad. Um, if anything, you're going to have to try and contain him and try and not mess about with your system too much. So Scotland yeah. were to persist with three. I wouldn't fancy their chances against Norway. Absolutely not. I was just about to say that um, if they're going to play, if Scotland going to play a, a back three against Norway, I can I can see it being very very miserable for Scotland, especially with with Harlan on such form. Right, Bob, the Scotland national team. We're going to move on to now. Um, look, guys. I, when I grew up in, you know, as, as you can tell by my accent, I've got an English accent. Grew up in England. Obviously, my main team international wise would naturally be England, but. With Scottish ancestry, going all the way far back in my family, I've always looked out for the the other nations. I've always wanted them to win when England aren't playing, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I've always want, I've always wished them well. There's no no hatred or hatred or bitterness from me, so to speak. So I've always taken a keen keen eye on Scotland as I live here as well. I've got Scottish missus, got Scottish little ones, so I do root for them when they play. And I just want to want to talk about Scotland, Bob, because Look, one man up front again. When was the last time Scotland had a decent striker at international level? And I mean, and I mean, all the attributes. All the attributes. All the attributes. All round striker. We've got plenty of fans' opinions about this. We, we've got people to write in, and <laughs> we've got people that wrote in on Facebook and Twitter. And just going to read some of them out to all our listeners. Gav Clark of Bristol says, probably have to go back to Kenny Dalgleish as McCoyce wasn't that great. I'll move on to that. I'll touch on, on that in a bit. Jamie Mack of Edinburgh, James McFadden. Billy Nichols of South London says, one for the dads here, Steve Archibald. Now, we're, not, we're probably not going to go back that far, Billy. Hugo Labato of Brazil and Andrew May of Wallyford have both gone for Stephen Naismith. Over on Twitter, at Stato Grant, who's from the Campbell's Footballs podcast, says, Kenny Miller, nothing more to be said. At the Curiosity Cake podcast, as said, Big Duncan Ferguson, but he didn't get too many games, so you'd have to go back to Chocky McClare. At Dodellen, says Kenny, Kenny Miller. At Jambo Neil 86, which is Neil Rooney, the best we have is Griffiths. And at Grant 1875, which is Grant Finlayson, 
has said James McFadden. Now, I've done a bit of research into all these suggestions. Okay. Now, I was adamant myself that Kenny Miller was the best striker for Scotland in the last 20 to 30 years. Okay. Now, I've delved a bit, bit further into it. Now, and I've got some stats from various strikers over the course of the years. We're not talking about strikers that have, you know, had, had a couple of caps. Like Lyndon Dykes has got one in two now. So you can't really count him. So Kenny Miller, 69 appearances, 18 goals. That's a one in 3.8 ratio. James McFadden, another mention there, which was mentioned a couple of times. 48 appearances, 15 goals. Gordon Jury, one that wasn't mentioned, but I thought I'd bring him up anyway because he was a regular feature between 87 and 97. Played at three tournaments for Scotland. 43 appearances, seven goals. That's one in 6.14. I'm not going to go far back as Dalgleish. Sorry, Gav. I'm not going to go far back as Steve Archibald. Lee Griffiths, 19 appearances, four goals. One in 4.75. Ali McCoist. One in 3.2, 61 appearances, 19 goals. Statistically, okay. Oh, we're going to mention Naismith as well. 51 appearances, 10 goals. That's one in 5.1. So statistically, Ali McCoyst has the best strike ratio out of any other striker in the last 30 years that have played for Scotland. Do you agree, Bob, that he is the best Scotland striker in the last 30 years at international level? Um, if you're looking purely for a goal scorer, then yes. The thing with a couple of the guys that you mentioned there, such as McFadden and Naismith, is they weren't, and McClare for that matter as well, is they weren't actually strikers. Or they, weren't actually, they were more kind of like free roll, coming in off the wing and scoring from there. So if you're looking in that regard, McFadden's probably got a better hit rate overall. In that regard, regardless, depending on what you mean for games to goals and all that kind of stuff. Um, Miller kind of divides a lot of opinion in Scotland. Lots of people rated him really highly. Um, I um, was never a huge fan of Kenny. I think he, he flattered to deceive by running around a lot. Um, put it this way, if I had the option of a number of these guys one-on-one on goal to win us a World Cup, Kenny Miller would not be on that list. No? I, do you know what? He was my he was my choice to begin with. Okay. Um, I, I agreed with a few people on that one. and But then I thought, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to actually, actually delve into stats for once and actually have a, have a good look. And as I, as I mentioned previously, McCoyst won in 3.2 and what he'd done at, at club level as well to me by far the best and now look Scotland need another McCoyst is Lyndon Dykes ever going to be at that level look you've got to look back as well now because McCoyst as well played against better opposition in my opinion before the Iron Curtain opened up they're in better groups stronger groups playing stronger teams every time they took to the pitch internationally now You've got teams, Scotland in uh, groups with Kazakh, your Kazakhstans, your Georgias, your Belarusis, your Gibraltars, San Marino. Do, do you see what I'm saying here, Bob? Because surely... I think, I think what, what, what you're missing, though, is that it's all relative. 
Yeah, right. but surely, surely, surely. It's all, it's all relative. I mean, some of the teams, right, although I said there wasn't a huge fan of Kenny Miller, some of those teams he played them were absolutely rank rotten. Right? We can say about Lyndon Dykes, and we'll probably get on to him shortly. The team that was currently around him over the last couple of days wasn't exactly great either. And the tactics set up were pretty poor too. So a lot of the a lot of the kind of things you can say, it's all very well saying stats and this, that and the other. But you have to kind of also look at how relative it is to who they're playing playing with as well as against. Well, so it, may be the case, well it may be the case that the Iron Cup and things like that opened up and that meant more teams. It also kind of diluted our, at the same point, our pool isn't as strong as it used to be either. Well, look, I mean, surely strikers for Scotland should have a better strike rate within the last 20 years than they did in the last 30 because they're playing against the Kazakhstan's, the Georges and the... Do you know what I mean? They should surely have a better strike rate against teams like that. But Scotland have spectacularly failed sometimes to beat teams like that. And you're right about the not having the right players around it. But now I look at Lyndon Dykes and I think, you know, could could this be Scotland's hope for the future? Look, he's got decent players around him. He's got Ryan Christie, okay? Can score goals. He's got James Forrest around him. Can score goals. Liam Palmer proved that he can put the balls in the box, the right balls into the box last night, okay? He can't, he's he's got, got, he can't defend though. He's, he's got. He's also got a really, really heavy first touch that I've noticed as well. <laughs> it was. It was. It's as 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 a couple of people um, mentioned on Twitter last night. Focal got excited about Liam Palmer because he put in a couple of good crosses. Before that and after that, he was absolutely stinking. His positioning was all over the place, and primarily is that the defend. Yeah, um, but look, goals win games. He come and up with the assist win, and. And while you're there, goals win games and defence wins championships, as the old saying goes. Yeah, um, yeah, I can agree with that. But look, I mean, I, I like full-backs that bum up the pitch, get up the pitch and put, put crosses in, get to the byline and stuff like that. You know, it, it, you can't say that there isn't the decent players around Dykes. Ryan Christie is a very, very good footballer. James Forrest is a very, very good footballer. Okay. John McGinn plays in the Premier League for Aston Villa. Playmaker. Scores goals. Look, there's plenty of service there, especially when you're playing teams like your Gibraltars and your San Marinos. Ryan Fraser, another one. Callum Patterson as well gets up there. So why haven't Scotland done it? Why haven't why haven't they rolled these teams over? Why do they struggle against these teams? Why? Yeah. Well, probably for a number of reasons. But ta- tactically, they don't know how to be the favourite. And never have been for as long as I've been watching football. So when you, the, the added pressure that they have of being favourites going into a game for the national team, they tend to flake. And they have done a lot of the time. Now, it's all very well saying Ryan Chris is a good player and James Forrest is a good player and all this kind of stuff. There's um, a certain prominent Scottish football journalist tends to remind us. It's all very well rolling teams over like Hamilton and Ross County and Hearts. 
but when it comes to the big stage, they often disappear. And they get found wanting, and especially at international level, and they have for a long time. Callum McGregor, in particular, um, draws a lot of ire from Scotland fans because he doesn't replicate his form for Celtic international ship. And you need to be asking your questions. Why? Yeah. Is it simply I, because of the, is it simply because of the players around them? Is it simply the manager? Is it the tactics? Is it all of the above? Because you can complain about Steve Clark and his negative tactics. You knew what you were going to get. But the same arguments were then, the same problems were under McLeish as were before him and so on and so forth. You know, the only, the last, the last kind of manager Scotland really had where anything kind of worked out was Walter Smith. Well, arguably Walter Smith. I suppose McLeish's first, first part was Strachan had bits and bobs. But the only one that's probably consistent, I think, was probably Walter Smith looking back on it. Yeah. But a slightly stronger pool as well. So uh, uh, you need to be asking questions about why do they come to an international level and play poorly? And it's not just against the likes of Kazakhstan and all that. They play poorly across the board. They play poorly against big teams too. So you need to be asking why are they coming? Why, why does a club form not get replicated at the national level? And that's really where you need to be looking at. Yeah. Um, we, we will touch on that point right now, actually, because, look, say a player gets, what, 10 grand a week to play for Celtic, Ryan Christie or something like that, or McGregor. We, we use McGregor as an example, um, seeing as he's getting a bit of stick. I don't know how much he's on at Celtic, but it'd be a hell of a lot more than it's on at Scotland. Um, do, you, do you think with a modern footballer, Bob, that it's it's money? It's it's all it's all about money. Oh, you know, the, the pride for the playing for the country isn't there anymore because maybe the country doesn't pay them as much as their club. You've also got clubs as well. I know Wenger used to do it all the time, right? Onto whoever was England manager at the time. You can only play my player for forty minutes max or sixty minutes max. And are international managers scared of club managers now because of the the clout they've got? Can you imagine what Neil Lennon's like to deal with if you're if you're a Scotland manager? Uh, you know, don't play Ryan Christie here because this, he might get injured. Don't play him there. Don't do this with him. Don't do that with him. It must be a hard job, especially with the, with the suits that you've got at the SFA as well, uh, breathing down your neck, you know? So, look, I, I think that's a lot to do with it. I think there's a lot of pressure from clubs on their players and on international managers to only to, to do what they want. Would you agree with that? Um, if that were the case, how come other nations seem to cope perfectly adequately? Adequately. Look at Northern Ireland under Michael O'Neill. Never had that issue. Michael O'Neill even threatened to pull players out if they decided they pulled out of a game and invoked that the, the kind of the, the FIFA clause that you can play for your club five days after. So, stop, stop. There's, you can complain about money all you want, but it was never an issue in the past either. And it's no big, it's not an issue for certain teams like, you know, Germany, Spain, all these teams. Why should it be an issue for Scotland? Absolute rubbish. Well, it's just, it's just such a, uh, it's just a suggestion um, that I've thrown in there. Because, I, I just, I just don't think, so I just don't think that you can really use money as an excuse. I mean, you shouldn't be getting paid for your international team at all. The only reason it came in was a sop to some of the bigger nations because they were losing players to injury. And that was the reason, partly why it all came in. But I, I don't see why what you get paid for your international country 
makes a difference to how you turn up. How your attitude is maybe when you turn up is different. Some of the attitude of some of the Scotland players when they come to, or it appears that way, and I know, I believe Andy Robertson took a bit of hump with this, is that they just don't look like they want to play for Scotland. It's the same whether thing. That that... Be, whether that be because, and I don't think it's like the money, I think it's just because they don't enjoy it. How can you not enjoy playing for your country? It's the ultimate accolade. And it, this is the problem now. Club football is a lot more lucrative to players now, especially with the agents sniffing around. They'll tell them, look, you know, play for your country, yeah, but, you know, the Champions League is where you really want to be or the English Premier League or the Bundesliga or, or something like that. And players are being players are being advised that. And I truly do believe they're being advised that as well by, by agents and stuff like that and, and the managers at their clubs. I mean... You, well, what, on, the flip side, on the flip side of that, though, sorry, on, on, on the flip side of that is that if you're an international player, that helps you get more money. So you yeah. can't. You, so it's not just a case of having folk in your ear saying, "Oh, it's more lucrative doing this, that, X, Y, and Z." If you've got international caps, and the more international caps you get, the bigger that you can command. So I'm not. I'm not sure. I particularly wholly buy that argument either. Look, players are bombing at international level. Okay, for England and for Scotland. The exception, I would say, would be someone like Gareth Bale for Wales. Um, Always seems to always seems to turn up for his country, but there's no pride there anymore. Um, I saw it, you look at things like national anthems and stuff like that. You look at players and they just look like they don't don't want to be there. I mean, I was looking at some of the Scotland players last night, and you know, there's quite a few of them not singing a national anthem. And back in the day, that wouldn't have been the case. They'd have been screaming it from the top of their lungs. There's there's no pride in playing for your country anymore. And I I do believe, from my opinion, you've you've you said your opinion that there's other factors going into these players' heads as to why they don't see it as lucrative anymore. I, I, I truly think that we are in the era of the greedy footballer. We've been in it for the last 20 years, the era of the greedy footballer. And playing for your country isn't going to bring you in millions unless you've got a TV deal for the World Cup or something like that and you're on one of the adverts and something like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, look. So, well, well, we might be in the era of the greedy footballer. I'll ask you again. How come other countries aren't affected by it? Well, you're talking about your Germany and Spains and stuff like that. I love like other smaller countries. Look at Croatia. World Cup final. How come? How? how what, what, what's the difference for these guys? And we're talking like the Croatians had some top top players in that team. Yeah. You no, know, Modric yeah. was playing at Real Madrid for God's sake. Let's not right. be, like why, why on on hundreds of thousands of pounds per week. Right? Why why does it not make a difference for these type of countries, but it does for say Scotland? Could it be a culture thing, Bob? Could it could it be a cult? Could it be down to culture where? They're brought up in places like Croatia, Serbia, Germany, Spain, and that to be proud of their country for the minute they walk into school, yeah, to the minute they walk out for their country out the tunnel to play for them internationally. To, is that is that sense of national pride installed to them from such an early age, which isn't really installed to kids in the UK anymore? It's not. It really, really isn't. Um, could that be a factor? 
as to why other countries seem to, other players seem to really like get up to playing for their country and English footballers, Scottish footballers, Welsh footballers. And I'm going to, I'm going to put the Republic of Ireland in here as well. Um, don't either. Could it, could it be as, as, as deep and as far back as that? It is could it possibly be that. Is it a culture thing? It, 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 uh, look, I'm, I'm, I, I tell you, if I was going to use a culture issue, I'd talk about the culture of how Scottish footballers are developed. That's probably a bigger concern than instilling some kind of national pride for, you, for when you go trot out in your Scotland top. Because if you look at it, there's loads of guys who come through and you wonder what happened. You know, the pathways for, we do relatively well for a size at youth levels. You, you never ha- see half these guys coming to the main team until they're 25, 26, 27. And it's like, why? Because they have to go down the tried and trusted route because that's the Scottish way. Why do you need to have some decent youth coming in the team? Somebody who's young, somebody who's desperate to play, or some guy who's tried and tested and might have done it before. And it goes all the way the same when you watch Scottish Premier League football, sorry, Scottish Premiership football, all the way down the leagues. You know, it's got to be the tried and tested guy. You really, you have a lot of trouble at times getting youth players through because there seems to be this kind of disdain for youth, you no, know, like a distrust for youth players or younger players. And that costs us greatly. And it has done for a long time. You know, Craig Brown was terrible for it and arguably stunted the growth of the Scotland team for a long time because they kept on playing guys yeah. in the mid to late 30s when there were Jury. younger guys coming through who really could have done a job. You should have started to be bloody because these guys were starting to disappear or, or retire or get past it. But he didn't do it because it had to be the tried and tested way. The distrust of youth in this country for years and years and years, apart from being baffling, has absolutely stunted the growth of the national team. Now, although this current team is somewhat a bit more youthful, there's probably gaps in that team where you could say, right, let's bring a young guy in here, maybe do a job, or at least have them in the squad. doesn't happen. McLeish done the same, Strachan done the same, Watsmith done the same, and so on, and so on, and so on. If these guys aren't going to play, why would you really be interested if you're going to keep going to get overlooked, even if you're in form? I get pretty pissed off at it. Yeah. Like everybody would. I've got a suggestion for this. Now, does that mean that Scotland's next appointment after Steve Clark, we don't know how long he's going to last, um, the next appointment by the SFA needs, in my opinion, has to be a young manager, okay? Because it tends to sort of be a trend here where young managers play and give chance to youth players, e.g., Gareth Southgate of England. Didn't really want to talk about England when we're talking about Scotland, to be fair, but it's a it's a very, very good example of a young manager that gives young players a chance. Do we have, I'm going to say we, because I live here, I've got Scottish family, I'm going to say we, do we have in Scotland an old relic dinosaur mentality? Well, yes. I mean, I've just, that's what we were just talking about for the last three or four minutes. Well, yeah, and it, and it happens. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. The SFA, I think, are scared of bringing through or paying out, paying money for a younger manager that may help bring through youth groups or bring through younger players and try and build some national cohesion. I mean, there was a lot of chat for Michael O'Neill for the last, like, for when Steve Clark got the job. There was talk it's because the SFA wouldn't pay enough money for him. 
and the same happened just before he got the job as well. The SFA haven't got a pot to piss in, which doesn't help matters either. So if you're a young manager who's maybe doing really well at a club, are you going to get recompensed enough for taking over a national side? Probably not. So it is about money? No, it's being recompensed for your time commensurate to your ability. That's different. So, so it, it, we, we are talking about a huge culture issue then? It must be. I'm going to go back well, to it, that. It, depend, it depends again what you mean by culture. There's a, there's a difference between... The, the sort of... by, by, there's a difference between pride for your nation and because you don't get paid enough as a player to then having a manager coming in and being paid commensurate to their ability. I just You're not think... expecting a manager surely to come in and pay for, play for nothing. Well, no. Or at least one of quality. Because if you look around the world, all the good quality managers all get paid a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, obviously the manager has to get paid because he's not going to have another job. If the international team is his full-time job and he's not managing another club at the time, then he he needs to be compensated. Whereas, which we're going to move on to later, by the way, folks. Um, whereas footballers, in my opinion, don't need to be compensated because they're already being paid full-time from their from their club. But look, Bob, um, it's, a, it's a subject we can go on about for ages. And I want our listeners to tweet us in at cathedral underscore sport. Cathedralsportoutlook.com is our email address. Talk to us about this. I want to hear your suggestions and arguments to everything that we have just spoken about. Bob, we're going to move on to down south and the start of the English Premier League, mate, this, this Saturday. Fulham v Arsenal, Palace v Southampton, West Ham, Newcastle, Liverpool, Leeds, all on Saturday. On Sunday, we've got West Bromwich Albion against Leicester, Spurs host Everton. And on Monday night, we've got Brighton at home to Chelsea and Sheffield United host Wolverhampton Wanderers. Looking ahead to that, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do a few predictions here. I can see Arsenal trouncing Fulham. I think I think Palace will will get home against Southampton. West Ham, there's a lot of shouts about West Ham at the minute from their fans. They're in uproar about the way the club's being handled. Uh, I don't think they've signed anybody, um, and there's there is a financial issue there as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that unfolds during the season. So I reckon they're going to struggle home to Newcastle. Failed takeover bid. They might struggle either. I, don't, I, I really don't know what's going on behind the scenes at Newcastle. I don't think many people do either. But I can see that one being a draw. Liverpool at home to Leeds. Easy Liverpool win, in my opinion. I don't think any team that steps up from the Championship is going to be able to compete with such a strong Jurgen Klopp Liverpool side. West Brom could spring a surprise at home to Leicester on Sunday. Spurs at home to Everton. Everton some, some decent new signings for Everton um, in the close season. Allen. A sign for Evan, and today they got over the line the signing of James Rodriguez, who was one of the main men for Real Madrid many moons ago, and Colombia at that at that World Cup in 2014 when he set the world alight. So that's a decent signing. I reckon he could still do a job. Brian at home to Chelsea on Monday night. Chelsea have signed big Bob. Chelsea have signed huge in the close season. Thiago Silva's arrived from Paris Saint Germain. Kai Havertz has, has arrived from Bayer Leverkusen. You know, Timo Werner's arrived from Rassen Ball Sport Leipzig. The only thing about... Ch- oh, oh Ziyech as well from Ajax. 
Chelsea have signed Ben Chilwell from Leicester. I could go on here. They've signed quite a few players. I reckon Chelsea Chelsea are going to be Chelsea or Man City are going to be the main contenders for Liverpool's crown this season. Chelsea win. I can see an easy win for Chelsea at Brighton on Monday night. Sheffield United at home to Wolves. Wolverhampton Wanderers. I'm gonna I'm gonna predict will nick a win there. How do you see the Premier League unfolding this season, Bob, being a Manchester United fan to boot as well? <laughs> Thanks for the watch. Uh, I think you're playing for third again after Liverpool and Man City, to be honest. Um, well, you don't think Chelsea are going to get third, no? That's what I said. Third after Man City, after Liverpool and Man City, you're playing for third. What? Man, um, Man United? You, I'm talking about Man United. I thought you were talking about Man United. No, no. Man United, that will really depend on who Man United can sign. We probably still need a centre half. Yeah, but we've got another left back coming in. Sancho still might be, might not be. Who knows, to be honest. It, it really depends on what they can get signed and if they can open the checkbook up a little bit, I think. Um, I, th- I think the 1-2-3 th- one, will be... You can maybe swap around Liverpool and Man City and third will be Chelsea and then everybody else is playing for fourth. Really. Um, we'll have to see. We'll maybe have to see how Tottenham can do and an old Mourinho's first season or nothing's been quite entertaining that must be said um, depends if they can get a couple of people over the line as well uh, I, I think anything it, I think as a, as a Premier League showed last year and probably the year before that, any, that once you get out maybe the top six or seven it really can be anybody in any position uh, across the board because quite a lot of the league apologies English listeners actually quite poor um, the quality and anybody that listens to Football Weekly and things like that as well the quality mm-hmm. across the board below your below your bigger teams um, and as, for this purpose I will include Leicester um, is actually it's much of a much um, and it really just depends if you can hit form or avoid injuries Bob would you include really- would you include Wolves in that what you just said Possibly. Uh, what, Possibly. As one of the teams that are poor across the board? No, no, no. I, I said they're probably in the top six or seven. I would right. say you're probably one of your better teams, but again, it will depend on how they can manage to, to maybe sign a couple of players to keep that team fresh if people aren't kind of aware of the tactics and all this kind of thing as well. Because once you come out, you play well for a couple of seasons. Teams start to get a bit wise unless you really add into the squad and adding quality to squads. Yeah. Um, so, I totally agree with that. So, see, I thought I think I think Leeds will probably supplies a couple of people. They'll probably do slightly better. Um, I see Fulham are likely to go down. West Ham are in trouble. And Big trouble. A another a another team from there really. My my early predictions. Okay, I know people shouldn't predict the league before, but. Look, I'm going to go for a 1-2-3 at the top. I'm going to go with Chelsea, Man City, then Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool are going to do it again. The only thing Chelsea need to sort out is that defence. Sort of slowly doing it with Thiago Silva and, and Chilwell. That, key, that, that, that Kepa needs to be binned by him, in my opinion. They need to get or just use Caballero and sign another goalkeeper because uh, he's an absolute bomb scare. Um, 
<laughs> and he, he could cost them points big time. And the, bo- the bottom three, I'm going to go. West Ham to finish bottom. No, right, West Ham fans, I'm sorry. It's not about my personal grievances. This is just a prediction. Okay. Bottom. Uh, Fulham second bottom. And I'm going to go... I think Villa rode their luck last season. And so I'm going to... I'm going to say Villa. Right? So your bottom three, Villa, Fulham, West Ham to go down uh, in 2021. And Chelsea to win the league with Man City finishing second and Liverpool finish, finishing third. So let's let's see what you guys think as well. Tweet us in again at Cathedral underscore Sport. Message us as well on Facebook, Cathedral of Sport. We are on Facebook, so want to hear your predictions, guys, as well. Top three, bottom three, early predictions before the season even starts. We'll probably do some more predictions around Christmas time um, when we've seen how the season has unfolded in the next couple of months. Something controversial. We're going to move on to now, Bob and. It's, it's caused a lot of stir for some reason on on social media. Um, women being paid the same as men at international level. Now, I put out a question to people on social media the other day, or yesterday, in fact, to, to write into us and tell us their opinion about women being paid the same as men at international international level. And also at club level as well. Plenty of plenty of talking points. So I'm just going to read out, Bob, what, what fans have written in and listeners have written in. Okay, so we've got Stephen Tate of Dublin and Dan Shine of London and Gav of Bristol. All say pretty much exactly the same thing. No player should be paid at international level. It should be an honour to play for your country. No player should be paid at all full stop. Anthony Howard of Hackbridge says, in my opinion, in my opinion, sorry, the quality of women's football isn't very good and I don't find it entertaining. But as they are pros, they should be paid accordingly. However, at international level, they should remain unpaid. Ashley Flood of London says, internationally, yes, both doing the same job representing their countries and it's manageable. In club football, women's football would go bust because the wages wouldn't represent the lack of fan interest and TV revenue. Pat Roberts of Bridgewater says women's football or women should be paid the same as men when it's equal money generated. Bob, what are your thoughts on, to start oh. with, we'll start with international level at start, to start with. And I'm, I'm in the agreement with the majority of our listeners that wrote in and to say, and this was an argument earlier about money and stuff at international level and players shouldn't be paid to play for their country. It, it is an honour. It's the ultimate honour. And if they were really that passionate, they should do it for absolutely nothing. Best uh, I, do, I, 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 do, I do tend to agree with that. Um, but because we're in a world where players get match fees... Uh, I have absolutely no problem at all with the ladies team having equal pay because it's equal pay for equal work because it's essentially the same thing they're doing. So I don't find why that's why it's such a controversial issue apart from certain donuts on social media, to be honest. Well, yeah, you've you've got, you know, look, you've, you've had some real real bad insults on site. Not you personally. I mean, uh, Sky Sports News tweeted it out the other day uh, about the England's and it was, I think it was Brazil as well. 
with the, with the two nations that were mentioned, and you know, from what I read, that paid women uh, equally as men for paying for their country. I look, I, I don't think players should be paid for playing for their country, but seeing as they are paying them, yes, for international level, equal. I mean, it's you've had people on social media going, "Our oh, women are taking over our game," and you know the. Snowflake, the snowflakes at the FA and all this sort of stuff, and I'm just like, come on, guys, please. I mean, I'll come say, I'll, I'll say it as a Scotsman that our ladies' team or women's team, as it should be, um, outperformed the guys quite considerably. I've done for a long time. You know, Scotland have been at a World Cup in the last 21 years, and it was a, it was a women's team. Um, so I don't see why it should be an issue if they were being paid equally to the guys. Uh, I think. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't really see the problem. Yeah, but Bob, you got to think in in women's football, okay? In in international football, you've only got certain amount of very small amount of teams that actually compete to a decent level. The rest are that the rest are absolute cannon fodder, okay? Um, in in men's, we look at UEFA uh, qualifying for men, right? Men's football. You've got maybe your Gibraltar, San Marino. Keep picking on them two tonight. Sorry, guys, if, if any listeners are from there. <laughs> don't mean to disrespect your, your nation at all. Um, but I just don't think you're very good at football. Um, you know, teams like that, you've got, you've got a couple, a few, so to speak, at, at the bottom of the pool. But there's no really, really easy game at international level with men's football anymore. England can go and easily get turned over in Slovakia. Scotland can easily get turned over in Northern Ireland, and and do, do you know what I mean? It's it's not, it's much more of a level playing field, so to speak. But in women's football, you've got what USA, Holland at the uh, Germany, I'd say at the top, the top three, the big three, and the kind of the rest maybe maybe England on a like sort of second tier teams, maybe England France, but the rest of them, it's just a, it's, they're just cannon fodder to the big teams again though that's all relative isn't it and that well and that a lot of the a lot of the women's teams aren't as developed as their men's because they weren't allowed to be they also, yeah, you have, can't say that, also have a they, wait, wait wait they also have smaller pools and whatnot to fit from as well so it almost sounds like you're denigrating the achievement of what the scotland women's team done there because they got to a world cup and the men didn't it gets much easier opposition this is my point. Again, against, again, again, it's relative. It's not because they haven't outperformed the men at all. And I'm, this is no disrespect to the Scottish women's team. It's, an, it's still a fantastic achievement to get to any major tournament. Um, and it's, it's one of the highest honours you can have playing for your country. But look, the, the teams they're, they're playing against, I mean, a lot of these countries have only just started having women's football teams. Yeah? So... You, you, you're bound to beat some of the teams Scotland. Look, Bob, Scotland's men come up against 10 times harder opposition every couple of months or so when they play um, than, the, than the Scotland's women team do. And uh, look, again, I'm not trying to disrespect Scotland's women team. I'm not trying to disrespect women's football at all. I'm just stating my opinion here. Uh-huh. It's not well. I think, as I say, I think it's all relative, and it, it just sounds slightly disparaging to say, "Well, the quality is not as good." Well, 
it isn't. So again, it might not be, but still got there. You've just complained that Scotland should be doing better at men's level. They aren't. I don't know if yeah, the argument can fall for them. Look, I know the women's game is still developing. Okay, I'm giving it a chance. Okay, so maybe in ten years' time, I can turn around and say, "Why did I say that ten years ago?" Look at them now. Look at look at Belarus now, or look at Jamaica, or, or do, do you know what I mean? Um, who would be probably be a bit a lot more competitive ten years because the game it's the I do believe that women's football is the fastest growing sport in the world, apparently. So it, it's going to get there one day. At the moment, uh, on an international level, it's a lot more. It's a lot more level at, at club level. Hell of a lot more level. But on international level, um, it's still not as competitive. I would say not. I would say competitive actually because they still compete to the highest of their abilities for the abilities that they've got. Um, it's it's just not. It's it's men's football is a lot more more even. It's a more of an even playing field, so to speak, when it comes to international qualifiers and international tournaments. That's my opinion on it, mate. <laughs> so that's all I've got to say on that matter, really. Bob, do you? Now we're going to go to club level now. Uh, women's football on club level is a lot more. Of a level playing field. Uh, if you if you ever watch the the women's Super League, um, there's there's quite a few teams that fight out. I mean, I know Man City have won a bit lately, but pay, Bob, wages. We're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about the actual. We're going to talk about wages. Do you think that women should be paid the same as men? As some as some people are saying, you've got you've got a, one group over here shouting pay women the same as men, equal rights, equal this, equal that. Okay, then you've got the guys like your, your Pat Roberts from Bridgewater who wrote in, shouting, well, they've got to generate the TV money then, haven't they, to get paid equally? What do you think, mate? Um, I think there's, there's kind of, it's a multifaceted question, really, because if you were to walk into any other profession, you would have to be paid equally. Right? So if you were a doctor, you'd have to be paid equally. If you were a firefighter, you'd have to be paid equally. If you were a social worker, you'd have to be paid equally. The problem that the women's game has is because they don't generate as much revenue as the men's side does. And that's Sport itself is unique when it comes to these issues. Oh, well, Very good point. I, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't, well, it's, it's maybe unique in that they're really allowed to flout the law. Um, for some reason, sport tends to have a special dispensation and has its own little bubble of how the law works. Now, employment law, for example, and I'm doing that at, at uni a couple of semesters ago, um, it's difficult for sports people to even use normal employment law. It happens sometimes, it doesn't happen all the time. For example, you have a player who's on a three-year contract. Now, if it were you or I in a normal job, you would hand in your month's notice and say ta-ta. Sports people, yeah. sports, well, footballers in particular can't do that. They can do it other sports. Like ice hockey in Britain, for example, you're allowed to give two weeks notice and leave. But that comes club or player can do that. Not all the sports are allowed to do that. 
you know, sport is in this unique kind of bubble of how it works the law. I've got great sympathy with the women's game for their efforts. I think in an ideal world, they would be paid exactly the same. Unfortunately, sport isn't an ideal world. It never has been an ideal world. And until things change and until there's a bit more respect for it, it won't be either. And the law of the state should be equal, equal pay, equal work, equal pay. Revenue dictates. Otherwise, it would be difficult for them, for some teams to do that at the minute. I mean, there's some teams that probably could afford to do that. So Man City, for example, could afford to pay the women's team almost commensurate to what equal to what the to what their male counterparts do because they've got money to burn. Other yeah. teams lower down the chain probably can't do that. It's a tough one. Uh, I'm glad I'm not really making the decision. Um, but as I say, an ideal world it would be equal. Unfortunately, sport isn't an ideal world. It's never been equal, and it never will be equal. No, that's a, that, that, yeah, absolutely cracking points. It's it's certainly those points have certainly opened my eyes up because I've I've always been on the on the Pat Roberts sort of side. Well, well, yeah, generate the TV money, and then you can have equal pay. You you generate the interest, like a sort of pyramid selling system. Uh, you generate the interest, you get the commission, sort of thing. Um, but because you so as you eloquently put it. And and very well put it just then. You've you've kind of changed my mind as well now. And I think you're right. You are right. Sport is why why does sport bend the rules? Why does sport get get away with bending the rules when it comes to equal pay? Why is it only sport? Again, guys listening in, please get in contact. With what we have just spoken about. You can tweet us in about this because it is a it is a big issue. It is a big subject. I know. Look, sorry if I could just jump I, in. if I could if I could just add when I say I don't think it'll ever be equal. I mean the sporting world. I don't necessarily mean between men and women because I think it should be and it will come at some point. A lot of sports will be. Um, yeah. In my lifetime, but I think the sporting world as a whole, even for men's sport or women's sport, when you start getting into the minutiae of each league, each team, each sport, because of the amount of money that gets generated by sport it's difficult to make anywhere an equal playing field. Obviously, you've got salary caps and things like that in the North American sports. They do it to a certain extent, but again, you still have your haves and have-nots. Until sports can find a way to be perfect, to, to have some kind of better system where everything can be equal across the board, then the, the, the sporting world will just continue to be unequal between those that have money and those who don't. So... In that sense, Bob, should the question stop being asked altogether? Depends what you mean by that. Well, what you just said, basically. So, should people, um, the media in particular, I'm going to, yeah, the media, not, not people on the street, the media. The media, do they need to stop asking the question and putting out articles constantly about the gender pay gap in sports after all the points that you've just made? I don't think they should necessarily do that, no. Because the only way you're going to get a quality is by putting pressure on. Um, and that's mm -hmm. the same for that's the same for any 
I suppose for any group really, anybody, any group who wants equality uh, needs to keep putting the pressure on. So I don't think the media should hold up in doing that. What, what, they, might, what they probably should be doing is trying to find a system that is fairer in sports. But quite a lot of these media outlets won't do that because it generates income for them and it generates clicks and headlines and all this kind of stuff. So it's also yeah. in their favour to keep the uneven playing field, whether that be men or women's sports or uh, the difference between, say, Premier League football and League Two football. It's all in their interest to keep differences and to keep people kind of stratified to the point that you're just going to continually have these problems in the sporting world because it makes them too much money and they're too self-interested to see that. And there were some good journalists who don't, who go beyond that. Unfortunately, quite a few of them, a number of them don't. And that's really possibly where the problem lies. You should be looking yeah. for more equality in the sporting world as a whole on top of looking for equal rights between men and women and so on and so forth. Totally agree. Um, I, I think there's going to be quite a few listeners now that were of the opinion of I was before listening to what my co-host Bob has just said and just spoke about for the last good few minutes there. Um, they will, <laughs> I reckon, have changed their opinions now. Bob, is there anything else you want to touch on before I close the show? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Is there any? I don't know. I don't think there's any other anything else that really crops up. Um, I'll try and avoid Scotland probably as best I can now. I've been avoiding them for a little bit. I tried to avoid them this weekend as well, but it was kind of I, was, I knew I was coming on here today, and I decided to watch, and it was probably one of the worst 180 minutes since I've been watching. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> uh, I mean. As I said before to a couple of people on Twitter, I think the problem is is that Scotland play poorly, we all get angry, and we tend to start navel-gazing. I tend to find the navel-gazing a bit tiresome, although we've kind of done some today. Um, until things have a, until there's like an overarching or a, or, a, or a massive change in culture, and I don't mean like monetary-wise, I mean exactly how we approach the game. Uh, it's just going to continue, and I don't think it's going to manage I don't think it will particularly a change of manager is not really going to change that unless the SFA have a bit of foresight and try and get someone in who they know can make a difference or who they can pay to make a difference. Like the tribe of Michael O'Neill, for example. Unfortunately, a young manager. A young manager who's done well. But unfortunately, as we know, the SFA have never been ones to kind of think a bit more holistically and think to the future and think, that could be good or that could be good or... This is what we should do. You know, it's the same old cycle of arguments that I've, that I've listened to since I was in, I don't know, primary school. And yeah. here we are. I'm about to hit 40 in three weeks' time, and it's still the same arguments. Well, mate, when I, when I grew up in England, it was, it was the exact same arguments. And I think England have only just now, for the first time since I've been alive, broke that sort of mould and let's let's look. Hopefully, Scotland go and break that mould as well. And it's not the same merry-go-round of names. And a young, ambitious manager comes along and look, and at least tries, at least tries something new. 
it'd be great to see. I really, you know, I'd really look forward to seeing something like that myself. Guys, we're going to close the show now. Bob, thank you very much for tonight. Some great points, um, some great debate as well. Um, certainly put me on the spot a few times, mate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to admit, I was like, oh god, what I'd say to that. <laughs> so thanks, thanks a lot again, mate. Um, guys, you can catch up on all of our shows on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. All the shows are on there for you in chronological order, so to speak. I'm going to thank Carl Cleghorn. I'm going to take this opportunity to thank Carl Cleghorn, who has, who is one of our guests. Uh, show previously he has sponsored us and gave us our donations slash sponsorship for a couple of shows in the future so Carl thank you very much it's much appreciated we want to try and give you guys the best content we possibly can the best quality content and try and get visual one day because that's where we really want to be you know so you guys can watch us on YouTube and you know, not have to put your headphones in and stuff like that. You can chill in front of the TV and watch us and, and listen to us. So that's where we want to get to. That's our aim. And people like Carl Cleghorn and Jamie Mack, who have sponsored us, are going to help us get there quicker. This week, we are going to be interviewing former IBF bantamweight world champion, Lee Haskins. Really excited for that one. I'm sure Bob is looking forward to that one as well. Uh, there are sponsorship opportunities for that. If you want to sponsor the show, please get in touch. Really reasonable price. Again, it's it's to help us achieve our dream. Um, a lot of hard work goes into these shows. A lot of background knowledge, a lot of you know notes and stuff like that. It's not just done off the cuff. We do we do work hard, guys. We do work hard for you. We really do. So, all sponsorships, good sponsorship. If you want to sponsor the show with Lee Haskins, please get in contact with us on all our available platforms at Cathedral underscore Sport on Twitter, Cathedral Sport on Facebook. Or if you favourite us on Anchor, you can also send us a voice message on there. So that'd be good. Uh, next fan guest interview we've got next week is with uh, Colin Pereira. Sorry, he's from Hemel Hempstead, dubbed the UK's most dedicated fan. Really can't wait for that one. Really can't wait to have him on. F1 show is back on the 20th of November and I want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners. We're really, we're nearly at our first major milestone listener wise, um, number wise. We've also gone over 500 followers on Twitter as well. Uh, our estimated audience has gone right up and it is beyond our wildest dreams of how well it's done. So we just got to thank all you guys for listening. It's, it's you guys that are getting the numbers up for us. So, Thank you, thank you very much. Bob, thank you as well. And I'll see you on the show with Lee Haskins. Yep, certainly will. I'm very much looking forward to that one. Uh, I hope I've got to go and get some notes done rather than bomb Vivonning my way about town. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, yes, looking forward to that one. And I'll, I'll see you on Thursday, I guess. Bob, I shall see you on Thursday. Cheers, guys.